Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she had happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab, she said. Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves and reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants." And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread, and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed her to the roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought and gave her what food she had left over, and being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. All right, well, there is a ton in uh, Ruth chapter 2. Um, I'm going to put up the, the truth statement uh, that we have for the book. This is the same as last week, so if, uh, if you caught it last week, but I just want to make sure we've, we've got this. Um, God works in, in the everyday events of life in order to save a remnant of his covenant people from extinction through uh, a kinsman redeemer. And we came to the end of chapter 1. Last week, and it, I mean, the very end has hope, but 
But everything before that was just this dark, grim picture. It, it seemed to Naomi that there was nothing good in her life. She said, I, I'm, I'm empty. Um, even though Ruth, her daughter-in-law, swore to her, um, Naomi still felt empty and, and this bitterness. Um, but she had heard that God had visited the land where, where they were from, Bethlehem, that there was food there. So they, they, they make their way back, um, Naomi and Ruth. And there had not been a harvest to be celebrated in, in some time in the land. And, and this, is, this is when Naomi and Ruth enter the picture. So there's this, this glimmer of hope as we ended chapter 1. Naomi and Ruth are an odd duo for sure. Um, and what we've seen of them is they have some great needs right now. And, and two uh, pop to the surface. One is, is they need food. I, I mean, we're talking like they need food just to survive, just to make it day to day. And, and they need family. Uh, and, and in this society, there's, you get the individual, and then they're part of the family, and then you have the clan, and, and then the tribe. And the clan was incredibly important um, in their society. If you were part of a clan, you had responsibility to others within your clan. There was some protection that, that your clan offered you and that, and that you offered your clan. So let's jump into verse 1. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So God had provided a way for the poor in the law. In God's law, he stated that landowners were to leave like the edges of the field so that the poor could come and glean, so that they could harvest some of that. And that would be how they would survive. So her hope is that there would be some landowner that is following God's law, that, there, that there's someone that will allow her to just get even enough food for her and her mother-in-law, at least, at least to get them through the day, if not, if not a few days. And while this is part of God's law, she recognizes that she needs to find favor with someone, that there needs to be someone who will allow her to provide for her and her mother-in-law. Verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. You notice that word happened there? She, she just so happened to come to the field of this guy who, who could be the redeemer of their family. In the story, we see that nothing happens by accident. There are no coincidences. Uh, God is sovereign, right? He's always at work. He's orchestrating uh, every little detail uh, of life. There are no accidents. God is always working for his glory and for the good of his people, right? In, in, in hard things and in good things. And we can, we can uh, what can seem like a coincidence or a chance or just as luck would have it is actually God working. Um, I, I heard uh, an adoptive dad um, actually talk about this, this very verse and, and, and the word happened and he was reflecting on uh, adopting their own kid and all, all the things that had to happen so that, so that they would have this child. And it made me think of our adoption 
uh, how God worked all these pieces together um, so that we could adopt Maddie. And, and I won't tell you the whole story at all, but you know, it all started for me back in middle school, which is super weird that a middle school boy is thinking about adoption. But I had, uh, I had three good friends in middle school that were all adopted. And, and, and I just thought, man, this just makes sense, right? It just made sense to me that, that someday, like I, I, I'd be married and have a family. And, and, and as Christians, like, of course, why, like, why wouldn't we consider, like, if we, if we could do this, why wouldn't we adopt? So I, I wanted to adopt from like eighth grade. Um, and we fast forward, Lindsay and I get married, and, and she knew that, that, uh, that I'd like to do this. It wasn't something that she had thought about since middle school because she was normal. Um, <laughs> we had a couple kids. Uh, adoption for, for us just kind of got pushed on the back burner. Um, we, we were trying to have uh, another baby, and um, it, it, Lindsay just wasn't getting pregnant this time. Like, first, first two kids, it was super easy, and, and there, there was just this delay of years, and we, it turns out she had this autoimmune thing going on with her thyroid, and, and, and that was, that was uh, keeping us from getting, adopt, or getting pregnant. Um, and then Huddy Hudson was born. Um, and, and really, at this point, like, I, just, I, I was thinking about adoption. I was, uh, I was thinking about, like, okay, how do I, how do I support adoption? Because I just didn't see it as something that was going to happen in our family. And, and, and then it so happened that Lindsay went on a missions trip and, and went to this orphanage overseas. And then a year or two later, I happened to go on, on a missions trip um, overseas. And, and, and really, on that trip, I was just thinking, okay, yeah, I'm going to figure out how I can help kids get adopted, though it didn't look like it was going to happen for us. And then and one day, Linz uh, says, hey, I think we actually really need to start praying about adopting. And then we just so happened to have uh, friends that, that had either just adopted or were in process of adopting. And, and, and we ended up deciding on, on China. And there, there were these different, three different adoption agencies that, that we were looking at. And, and, and I just happened to have another youth pastor friend that, that had adopted from China through this agency. And we start the process and like, we barely had enough money to, to pay to start the application, right? So it was supposed to be like a two-year process. And we, we really didn't have much of anything, but we just were like, okay, if the Lord is going to make this happen, he's going to make it happen. And you start all the paperwork, and I cannot explain to you how much paperwork there is to adopt, period, but then you throw internationally on that. It's like you need a master's degree in filing paperwork with the government. Um, and, and you've got to get all these things notarized. So Lindsay and I would have to adjust our schedule so we could both show up to the notary at the same time. And, and then we get together with our social worker and, and go over the process. And we decided to uh, adopt um, a child with special needs. So you had to look through like every possible special needs. And like there are all these, these boxes that you've got to look up, like what is this word? What is this medical condition? And, and then check if you're, if you're good with that. So we're evaluating like with our family, like what can we take on? We, we, we check all those boxes and, and then you just wait. And then I, I remember um, a rainy November afternoon, I get a call from our social worker that there's this little girl in China uh, that, that seems like, like just a, a good fit for our family. And there's an email waiting in my inbox with all these files and, and videos of her. She's not even one years old yet. And, and I ask, so what's, what's the special need? And, and, and she says, it's thalassemia. I'm like, what is thalassemia? And to, the, to this day, Lindsay and I do not remember checking the box saying we were good with thalassemia. Um, 
he had just so happened that we did that apparently. Uh, anyway, and, and <laughs> crazy story, Maddie doesn't even have thalassemia. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't accurate. Um, but our adoption agency happened to have a relationship with a doctor in Omaha who'd adopted a couple girls from China with thalassemia and he was willing to talk to us. And I mean, I could just go on and on and on and on. And, and, and the timing of all these things, I mean, this is like a 15, 20 year process. Like if you think about when I first started thinking about it and, and, and then, you know, we get lined up with Maddie if we don't check that box that, that neither of us remember checking, we'd never find out that Maddie exists. And I, and I told you just a couple of weeks ago, like we got the first day we had her, it just felt like, man, this, this is our daughter, right? And we bring her home. We don't know what it's going to be like for our kids, right? That's kind of scary. And our kids just love her and grandparents love her and aunts and uncles and, and, and cousins. I, I just say that like, there's no happened to's. There's no as luck would have it. There's no, uh, no by chance that Ruth walks into that field that day and then, and then Boaz walks in. Like This is God orchestrating. God's always working for the good of his people and for his glory. Verse, verse four, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to his reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. So she happens to come to his field and it happens to be a man from the clan of her dead husband's family, which is super interesting. And in chapter two, we, we see both in Boaz and Ruth, just they're, they're both people of, of character. They're both people that want to honor the Lord. And, and we've already seen like Ruth is exceptional, right? In chapter one, her faithfulness to the family of her deceased husband is way beyond what anyone w- would expect of her, including her mother-in-law, Naomi. And, and right from the get-go, she says, Naomi, I'm going to go glean food. I'm going to get food for us. Ruth is a hard worker. Right? There's nothing glorious about, about gleaning food during the, the, the harvest, right? This is, it's hot work. It's hard work. There certainly is potential danger. Um, yes, there's supposed to be owners like by, by the Torah, God's law, that are, are supposed to let this happen. But I'm sure that there's some that, that were greedy and maybe didn't want this to happen. So, so maybe they technically let it happen, but they made it hard. They made it a pain to glean in their fields so that you would just move on to someone else's field. Certainly it was dangerous right, as, as a young woman, but, but as, a, as a foreign woman, I'm sure that there were men that were ready to take advantage there was risk in this work to provide for Naomi and for herself, and yet she initiates working in the field to, to glean the grain and, and, and going along with the reapers. And she shows Naomi, hey, those weren't just words I swore to you. I'm in. And we've already heard that Boaz is a worthy man, and what ultimately makes him worthy is that he worships Yahweh. Right? Even as he comes here to, to the field, he greets them, right? He greets them talking about the Lord and, and maybe you read this and you question like, hey, was that just like something that they said in Bethlehem? Like maybe these are just empty words that meant very little, but as we go on through this story, I think we see that this is a man who loves the Lord to the point that his love of God has infiltrated his everyday life, even his work life. He can't help but be, is that us? Right? Does the worship of God like just so saturate us that everywhere we are, right? It doesn't matter if we're around believers or not. Like, like it just spills out of us that, that we love Jesus, that Jesus is the only way. There's so much more there to unpack. I'll let you do that on your own. Verse five, then Boaz said to his young man who is in charge of the reapers, whose young woman 
is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning till now, except for a short rest. Well, as his question, whose young woman is this? He's asking, whose daughter is this? What family is she from? What clan is she from? And the narrator has been really clear. How many times have we read, she is a Moabite. She is from Moab. She is not from here. She is a foreigner. Ruth is a Moabite. The Moabites came from Lot's incestuous relationship with his daughter. Really gross story. Not a good start for this people. And there are are other issues that come up between the Moabites and the Israelites along the way. But one time there were Moabite women who seduced Israelite men into immorality, into idolatry, and God's people were judged for it. 24,000 were killed. So it would not be a surprise to us that the Israelites might have ill feelings towards the Moabites. She's not from this clan, or she's not not from the clan of Israel. She doesn't have a family. Her and her mother-in-law are all that's left of this family. They need a family. They need food. Now, by marriage, she is connected to a clan here, though. Now notice in verse seven, the foreman tells Boaz that Ruth came and asked permission to glean. And I think we see a humility here in Ruth and we'll see more of that in verse 10, right? Technically, she could have argued that she had the rights to glean. She could hold up the Torah, God's law and quote it and say, don't you see how good Yahweh is, right? He commands you to care for the poor, but she doesn't do that. She doesn't presume that anyone would or should give her anything. She does not come off as entitled. She's prepared to work hard wherever she was given permission, which is what Boaz's foreman noticed, that she worked very hard. She only took a short break. She was not looking for a handout, which is good because there were no handouts. There were no government programs. This is God's way that he'd set up. The landowners would, would, would allow the edges to be gleaned or, or they'd leave even the, the corners. Or I read that sometimes they would leave up to a quarter of their fields for the gleaners to come and work hard at gleaning. Well, Boaz had heard plenty and he, he had straight over to her, which even that is interesting that the owner of this land, this man who's well-respected, a man who's wealthy, makes his way over to the person who, at least in this field, is, is the lowest rung in society. And you would think that he probably has plenty to do that day, but he goes to this poor, desperate woman. And I just think, man, what a picture of God coming to us in our desperate state. God came to us, not when we had our act together, not when we were at our best, but Christ came and died while we were at sinners. And then look here in verse eight, how gentle Boaz is with Ruth. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women, right? Keep close. That's the same word from chapter one when it says that Ruth clung, or, yeah, Ruth clung to Naomi. 
He tells her, don't go to that field or, or that one, but stay right here. Glean right here. Verse nine, he says, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And I said that he headed straight over to her. Apparently that wasn't the case because first he had to order his young men not to touch her, that they were to respect her. And it's not hard to imagine that, that there would at least be some men that would, would take advantage of a young woman, especially a foreign woman, perhaps maybe even more so a Moabite woman. So he has already given orders to treat her well. And then he says, and if you get thirsty, drink from the water that I provide for my employees. Right? And we hear that, and we're like, oh, that, that is great. I, I wonder, I suspect that earlier readers than us might be a little more shocked than you and I are because of how women were treated then. Right? It, during that time, if there's one gender that's going to fill the, the water for another, it's certainly women filling it for men. And if, if, if somebody's going to fill it, it, it would be, it'd be foreigners filling it for Israelites, not Israelites filling these vessels for a foreigner, but the care, the hospitality of Boaz really knows no bounds. Boaz goes above and beyond here for Ruth and therefore uh, for Naomi as well. And as we'll see, he knows Naomi's in his clan. He's going to take care of this woman who, who married into this clan, who's taking care of, the, of his relative's widow. Right? And we don't we don't understand, I don't think we relate to the, the familial commitment that we see in this book. Verse 10, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Her response here is not an exaggeration. This is not false humility to like butter up Boaz so that he will provide for her. No, this is sincere. She left that day needing someone to find favor with her. And here it has happened. So she asked, why? Like, why have I found favor? Why have you noticed me since I'm a foreigner? I'm from Moab. She knew she needed to find favor, but, but maybe she doubted that it would really happen. She's thinking, why, why would I, this foreigner, this, this woman from, from Moab, why would you favor me? I'm a nobody, and here you are. You're this rich landowner, this, this worthy man with a great reputation. Why would you even bother talking to someone like me, let alone inviting me to drink the water that, that you have prepared for your people and warning your men not to touch me. So she's just overwhelmed by his kindness. But look at how Boaz responds in verse 11. He says, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and your mother, your native land, came to a people that you did not know before, right? He'd done his homework. He knew what kind of woman she was. She's lived out this covenant faithfulness to her mother-in-law, right? And we see covenant relationships all over scripture, um, but perhaps the one we think of most is uh, the, the covenants that, that God makes with us, right? That, that he, he agrees he's going to do, uh, he's going to uphold his end of the bargain and, and we agree to ours. And yet what happens over and over again is we, we don't live up to the covenant. And, and yet God in his faithfulness still does. And we see a covenant faithfulness here in, in Ruth. 
this, this worthy man knew that he was looking at a remarkable woman, at a worthy woman. Verse 12, he says, The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, even though I'm not one of your servants. And I think we could read uh, verse 12 um, in, in a wrong way pretty easily. Right? We, could, we could read the language of the Lord, repay you and, and a full reward be given to you. And, and we could take that like a, an employee-employer transaction. That, that if I do the good things in life, right? that I'm most, if I mostly live as a good person, then God will pay me really what I'm due, what he owes me for doing good. Yeah, that would be uh, some form of, uh, of legalism. What's key here? is the repaying and the reward they are for what she did. But, but here's what she did. This is what Boaz sees. She came to God to take refuge. She came under his wings to take refuge, to be protected. And we don't know what happened in the last 10 years for her to come to trust in Yahweh, but she did. And Boaz can see it. And she's chosen to trust in God even though her whole world has fallen apart, right? Nothing has, has gone as she dreamed it would. Her husband is dead. She has no kids. She's living in a foreign land with her mother-in-law who is so depressed and bitter. Everything is crashing down around Ruth. And what has she done? She's chosen to take refuge under the wings of God, right? Like we get this picture uh, like this baby bird with mama bird and, and, and baby bird like comes up and gets under the wings and is, and is just nuzzling as close as possible to this mama bird. Jesus gives us a picture like this in Matthew 23, speaking to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 37. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing they wouldn't come seek the wings of God for protection because of their pride. They didn't think they needed it. They thought they were self-sufficient. They thought their behavior really earned them righteousness, earned them a right standing with God. They're so the opposite of Ruth in every way. They thought that God would repay them because of this false understanding of righteousness. Ruth had none of that. She sought God's refuge, and Boaz could see that in her, seeking refuge under his wings. This is why she, why she is rewarded. This is why Boaz says, the Lord repay you. She came to hide under the wings of Yahweh, and Yahweh blesses those who come to him for refuge. She isn't being repaid because she's done a bunch of noble things, though she has. She's rewarded because of her trust in God for everything. Not what she can do. Right? She, she didn't go back to the gods of her youth. She didn't go back to the familiarity and comfort that she knew before her husband died. She came to Yahweh. Right? Where else would you rather go? There's no refuge. There's no shelter like what God provides. Verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat 
some bread, dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Then she rose to glean. Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also put out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Man, the characters in this story just reveal so much to us about the heart of God. Boaz loves the poor, loves the foreigner really well. I mentioned there's no welfare programs among God's people because he commanded them, you are going to be the vehicle. You're going to be the way, the conduit of taking care of these people. You're going to show them my love and concern for the widow, for the orphan, for the foreigner among you. And if we read all of scripture, man, it's all throughout, right? That God's people are are to be a generous people, that God's people are, are to take care of the poor, to demonstrate God's love and concern and care for them. So we've got to be asking ourselves, man, are we doing what God has told us to do? We, we live in an affluent area, and I don't even just mean this area, I mean our country. Right? If, you're, if you're a citizen of this country, uh, you are richer than, than a good chunk of the world. It's mind-boggling that, that there are still many, many parts of the world that live on like a couple bucks a day. And, and we happen to live not just in an affluent country, but in an affluent area. And the trap for us is to see this money that's coming in as ours, that it's for us, that we just do whatever we want with it. And I love the generosity of this church. Um, I don't know who gives what, like I don't, I don't wanna know any of that, but, but I look at how we're able to give to, to things like, like Track Camp, Teen Reach Adventure Camp, uh, the camp that we, we help put on for foster kids. We give to Pathways Pregnancy Clinic so, so that these, these young moms that we're not expecting to get pregnant ha- have a way to, to hear about uh, the option of, of keeping their child we, we give, we have this, uh, we call it our compassion fund. And, and when money comes into our compassion fund, we, we take half of it and, and we, we save that for people in our body, in harvest that, that, that could use some help. And then the other half goes for our community, right? People that, that we, we don't even necessarily have a relationship with, right? And, and we have people call in somewhat regularly and, and Alyssa in the office, she, she puts on like her investigator hat and is making all these calls to find out if, if these stories are true. And, and, and we get to be a part of, of helping people out, paying bills, helping with rent, right? And, and that's because people at our church are, are generous. So we, we've got to fight the temptation, right? We, I, I want to be like Boaz, right? I, I, want to be, I want to be generous with, with what God has given, right? I don't want to fall into this consumer trap, right? Where, where it's always got to be bigger and better, right? Like eventually the big house is big enough. Eventually the car has enough features. I'm not saying you can't have a nice house. I'm not saying you can't have a nice car, but, but man, we, we look at Boaz, we're like, man, how are you so generous? And I think it's because he trusted in God more than his property, more than his wealth, right? Certainly, it can be tempting as a believer to, to not give away because we fall into the lie that security is money, right? Or that our, that our stuff is what makes us happy. But God, or Boaz knew that God was his provider. God was his security. So the generosity of Boaz here, it blows my mind not to remind us that we get to demonstrate the, the lavish provision and love of God to others. Let's keep going. Verse 17. 
So she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up, went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought, not only that, but, what, but she, uh, sorry, she brought out and gave her what food she had left over from the meal with Boaz after being satisfied. So Naomi, certainly, as she's been waiting day one, like, what's it going to be like for Ruth? How much is she going to bring back? She's, she's wondering, like, maybe we'll have enough food for tonight. Or, or maybe she's this optimist and thinking we're going to have food for a couple of days. But not in her wildest dreams did she think that Ruth would come back with an ephah of barley. An ephah of barley, just in case you don't remember your ancient Near East, Near East measurements. Uh, that's somewhere in the neighborhood of about 40 pounds. Like that's, that's a lot, like 30, 50, somewhere in there. So, so she's got that plus the leftovers from lunch. She carried it home, which, man, <laughs> carrying 40 pounds of grain home, I have not done that. She's a tough woman, right? Like, like if CrossFit was around back then, she would have been at CrossFit Bethlehem in the after hours. <laughs> There's a lot of food, right? And then I read, okay, so how, how much food did like the average worker come away with? They came away with like one to two pounds a day. Right, so she's been blessed. She's been lavished here. So no wonder Naomi reacts the way she does. Verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with and said, and, and right, so we know it's Boaz. We know that, that Boaz is related. Ruth doesn't know yet. Right, so for the first time, Ruth, she, she sees hope. Right? There's, her, her house now is more food than she dreamed that, that Ruth would be able to get in weeks, maybe months. She's got all this food, but she doesn't know who it's from. And the narrator, he just draws it out like one of those competition shows right? where they say, and the winner is... And there's that music that just goes and goes, and then they cut to commercial break, and then they come back, and then they give you the winner. So the sentence goes like this, the man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And it's like, it's like there's this extreme close-up on Naomi. And you can see just in her eyes, the wheels are turning, right? I forgot about Boaz. So she says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women lest in, the, in a, another field you be assaulted. And, and I wonder, it, it's subtle there, but, but I wonder just low key, is Naomi, as she's processing everything, she's saying, yeah, 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 stay there. Ruth, stay there, stay in Boaz's field. Yeah, because it's safer. But, but she's formulating this plan. We're gonna see it in the next chapter. Naomi, the matchmaker, is coming to life here. Even though in this, this short story, in these four chapters, God really isn't explicitly mentioned all that many times. But if we're paying attention, we learn so much about God. We learn so much about ourselves. We're, we're, we're very much like Ruth in some ways. In chapter two, we're, we're wandering. 
We got hope that, that this field that we're in today is going to give us what we need. We're, we're looking around for what we need to live. We're desperate. Maybe we're scared. Well, we've come to rock bottom. And we know that our only hope is finding favor with someone that actually has the power to help us. This is us, dead in sin, unable to really make any changes that matter, just trying to make it to see another day. I look, I look at Boaz. And it just reminds me of God's great love, right? His undeserved kindness to us. He finds this foreign woman in his field. He doesn't just take notice of her. He knows her story. He knows who she is, what she has done. He certainly knows what she needs. He comes to her. He cares for her. He guides her in what is good. He protects her. He makes a way for her. He blesses her abundantly. Right? So far beyond what anyone would expect. It just reminds me so much of Yahweh, so much of our God. He does, he does all this, not because he has to, but he loves the outcast. He loves the foreigner. God loves those who will come and seek refuge in him. I mentioned earlier, Naomi and, and Ruth, they needed food and they needed family. Ruth is a foreigner in this new land. She's an outcast. Boaz sees her. And Boaz, he, he treats her like family right off the bat. He's led her to work in his field, though she's not one of his workers. When it's time to eat, what does he do? He invites her to the table, and he, he doesn't just invite her to his table to eat with him. He serves her food. Then he, he makes sure that, that she's satisfied so much so that she has leftovers. She goes home with food that fills her house because of Boaz's generosity. He treats this foreigner like she's family. He seeks this outcast and makes her family. Isn't this just so much like our God? God finds the outcast. He, he says, come glean in my field. Be sustained by my harvest. Come eat at my table. Fill yourself on the meal I have prepared. Eat and be satisfied in what I've done. Stay with me. Stay close to my people. Trust in my provision. Trust in my protection. Don't go anywhere else. And there's just, there's so much for us to see in this book about our God. So good. I almost forgot actually the final verse. Um, so tons of action in this chapter. Stuff I didn't even get into. And then we get to verse 23. It says, so she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. So barley harvest and wheat harvest this is going to take months. And, and, and she's there every workday, day after day. This, this hard working, loyal, worthy woman is there every day in the fields of, uh, of Boaz. And no doubt he's keeping tabs on her. Right? Who knows? how many conversations they have, who, who knows how long it takes for them to have daily conversations and, and, and maybe perhaps each of them just, just find ways to bump into each other, to talk to each other day after day as she's walking home. No doubt she is thanking God for his generosity through Boaz and, and we don't know exactly what they're thinking about each other now, but you, you just can't help but wonder. You just can't help but wonder. And we imagined the look on Naomi's face when she heard who Ruth found favor with, that it just so happened to be Boaz, who's a part of her dead husband's clan and therefore could be their kinsman redeemer. And you just see the, the wheels spinning as the plan formulates. And then we come to the final sentence of chapter two. And I gotta be honest, it's, it's a pretty big letdown. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So you gotta come back next week. Let's pray. 
Jesus, uh, we, we thank you, God, for your word. I, th- I thank you for this, this story. I think it's just 85 verses. And, and, and yet there's, there's so much here. We, we talk about gleaning. There's so much to glean here. God, there's so much to learn. God, we'll be, be people that, just, that, that are just immersed in this story. God, and I don't know. I don't know everybody's story in the room at all, but I, I just know, God, that there, there are hard things going on probably for all of us. And some people are, are going through things that are so hard, they, they feel empty like Naomi. God, would we see your providence in this story? Would we recognize that all those hard things in our life, all, all those things that we love in our life, you, you're using all of it, you're orchestrating for your glory, for our good. God, would we trust in you? Jesus, as our world is falling apart, would we not run somewhere else to some other field, but would we stay in your field like you say? Would we trust that your provision is so good? God, would we run and find shelter and refuge under the cover of your wings, Lord? Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.